This is The Guardian. Today, one man and his dog in Ukraine and their journey on foot through a brutal war zone. Dan, in all your career, have you ever heard a story like Eagle's? I, I don't think I have. I don't think I've ever heard a story with such twists and turns, sort of moments of really high drama. Dan Boffy is The Guardian's Brussels correspondent. When Russia invaded Ukraine, his beat changed. Within weeks, he was posted in Kiev. There, he heard a story of a man from Mariupol, Igor Padin. He'd been through something remarkable. It's the story of somebody who was in living hell, who at some point decides that he has only one choice, and that's to get out. The only way out was to walk hundreds of kilometres, just him and his little dog Zuzu, across the biggest war zone in Europe since 1945. On his journey, he would sidestep landmines and cross destroyed bridges, he would bypass Russian checkpoints and Chechen soldiers bristling with weapons and knives and guns. He would see smouldering homes and meet men and women who had lost the will to carry on. Taking his guidance from the sun, settling in where he can at dusk, often not entirely convinced that he'll wake up the next morning. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, the extraordinary journey of Igor and Zuzu. The story of Igor Padin reached Dan Boffy through word of mouth. It was an outlandish tale that had been rippling through the neighbourhood and finally made its way to Dan's colleague, the journalist and interpreter, Konstantin Andriuk. The two of them set out to find Igor. He'd never told his whole story to a journalist, but he sat down with them outside a cafe at the bottom of a high-rise tower block. Okay, can I take his name, please? Uh, Imya, Imya. I- Igor. Igor. Pedin. 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 61. 61 years old. Okay. Igor is 61 years old. He's a slight man with a big voice. Tanned, weather-beaten, wearing a blue worker's jacket and a cap. His story begins in the spring, in Mariupol a city that has seen some of the worst of a very brutal invasion. Maripol was introduced to the war very quickly, within hours of Vladimir Putin announcing his special military operation. But things sort of were relatively normal until the 2nd of March. And Igor marks the moment that everything changed. Yeah, I mean, it was 7 o'clock on the 2nd of March, he was in his kitchen and he suddenly heard this massive roar of a rocket going over his head. Something, something huge, big, yeah. flew on over my head, over my head, like a like a rocket, yeah. big rocket. <clears throat> and in a couple of seconds, there were a huge explosion yeah. that uh, even even me, I shaked like a. And, ah, and the light switched off 
all over the whole yeah. uh, city. The Russians had failed in the first week to do a direct attack and storm the city and take it. And now they've just decided to flatten it. So from that point on, he talks of just a living hell. There was no electricity, there was no gas, there was no heating, there was no food. When he needed water, people in the area were, were taking water from a small river about, I think it was about a mile walk from Igor's house. Um, but it was well known that this this particular spot was polluted, very polluted, um, with mercury, in fact. And people had no, had no water, yeah. and they took uh, this uh, water, and even him. Yeah. Ну это сказалось, я так понял, позже люди начали умирать, но это сразу зубы посыпали, зрение пропадает. They they started to to lost uh, to lose their teeth and uh, pro problems with the vision, eye vision. Yeah. And people uh, started to die from this water. This is the kind of very kind of borderline from the very edge of being able to survive. Dan, was there a moment when Igor decided to leave? 20th of April, yeah. I saw first uh, Russian soldiers uh, through my window. The Russians arrived right in front of him. And they're going house to house, firing at will. Um, what they're doing is looking for people who might give away locations and doing with those people what they will. So he sees the Russian soldier for the first time and he's like, well, I've got to get out. And uh, I understood uh, I, have to, I have to escape. So Igor knows he can't stay in Mariupol. What does he decide to do? He spends a few days preparing, and that includes collecting food, as much food as he can, getting his luggage right. Initially he had sort of a 70-kilo bag, so he know for this journey it can't be too heavy. So he gets it down to more like 50 kilos, and he fills it with rice and buckwheat and, and whatever he can, uh, some scraps of meat for his, for his dog. Before he and Zuzu left their house, he sort of said, said to Zuzu, oh, you know, oh, we'll do this together, we'll survive this together, I promise we'll get it together. And I think that was kind of, it was kind of, we might well die together. There's no, no guarantees. Igor's destination was a city called Zaporizhia, 140 miles northwest of Mariupol. To get there, he would have to travel through a ravaged country, no man's land, a live war zone, much of it already occupied by Russians. But first, he would have to get out of Mariupol. He leaves his house at 6 a.m. and it takes him two hours just to get through his local area, sort of five kilometers to get to the center of town. Because everything was covered by damage, the damage by the glass wires. You couldn't walk in a straight line because um, it was, the, the ground was full of twisted metal and wires and smashed rubble and, and bodies. And uh, close to the edge of the city, he saw dead bodies. Yeah. No, it's civilians. 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 That's just sort of the, the environment he had to go through. Then the direct risk were Russian, Russian soldiers who were extremely nervous and would shoot at, at sight anyone who they thought could possibly pose a threat. And they were angry. The Russians were really angry at this point. Mm. because they'd been expecting to, to be welcomed with open arms. So how did Igor manage to get across the city with his dog and avoid being stopped or shot? I mean, that, that question can be asked throughout the journey. Uh, and he was like, well, what am I? 
What am I? I'm nothing. I, I, I looked uh, at that moment, I looked like a vagabond. Yeah. And uh, like an like invisible man. Nobody, yeah. no, nobody spotted me because like, I, I was like a, <laughs> like a ghost. His house been under constant fire, that area. And so he was covered in dust and dirt and his, he hadn't washed because there wasn't any water. So Russian soldiers, he was nothing. And he was lucky in that he, he dodged the bombs. How did he feel leaving his city behind? He said goodbye. He said, I, I said goodbye to the city. He looks across and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's ruins. I saw my city ruined, yeah. totally destroyed. And I, I, I said uh, goodbye in my mind to my city, Mariupol. He said, there's no life there. There's nothing there for me. There's nothing there. Um, I've made the right decision. And he turned around and he, and he carried on his journey. So Igor and Zuzu self into the unknown. They managed to escape Mariupol, but presumably night is soon setting in. What was his plan? His first aim was a, a town called Nikolska, which is about 20 kilometres away. As he reached the first houses of this town, he was getting very dark and very cold. And yes, he was extremely concerned about how on earth he was going to see through the night. But then as he reached the first houses of the town, he sees a, a man outside his house. Who, who was uh, standing and uh, smoking, Kurivin, Kurivin, yes, smoking, he spotted him and told him, young man, uh, would you like to drink with me? And after that he added, today I buried my son. Just okay. drink for, for, for his memory. But I, Igor hadn't, he hasn't drunk for 15 years. His last drink was 15 years ago. Um, but obviously, you know, he, he couldn't refuse. Igor has a couple of shots of vodka. The, the man, as he's explaining his story, um, finishes the bottle. And his story was you know, utterly heartbreaking that his son, his 16-year-old son, was a student uh, studying in Maripol. And he disappeared. This man had gone to find him. Just couldn't find him anywhere until he did. He found a grave. His son was buried in, that, in this grave. And the Russian, Russian soldiers said, if you want that body, you'll have to dig it up yourself with your bare hands. He said, Russian soldiers told him, here is your son, dig. And he dig it by his hands. At night, they, they flick on the telly. This is the first time that Eagle's seen television or had any news from anywhere. Um, since kind of the 2nd, 3rd of March, because no internet, no, no electricity in Maripol. And he's sort of this incongruous site. They put the telly on, and Emmanuel Macron's there on telly celebrating. He's just got become president of France again. Vive la République! Et vive la France! So it's this kind of weird, you know, that's the wider world. But he also learns, you know, that um, actually there's a fight back. There's a fight back in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin wanted these tanks we are just filming to be inside Kiev, inside the center. But they were stopped by Ukrainian military here. And you see the total destruction of these tanks. 
that yeah. what's happening in Mariupol isn't necessarily the, the case everywhere else, that the battle, in, the battle for Kiev is raging and, and not necessarily lost, um, and that maybe not all is lost, you know, despite being in the company of a man who is broken and he lost all hope. Igor hadn't lost all hope, and he, uh, the television, the news gave him a little bit more. He slept on this, this man's couch uh, that night and woke up at 6 a.m., uh, and set off again. Where does he walk to next? So he leaves leaves Nikolovska, and as he kind of expected, he comes to a checkpoint. What he didn't expect, uh, and what was slightly chilling, was the accents of the soldiers um, who he f- comes across. They're a little way away ahead up the road, but he hears their accents, and they're, they're Chechens. He knows not to go any further. From which point you are going, and to uh, which point they asked him? Then out of the uh, the checkpoint comes a commander. So this commander was very angry that this guy had sort of managed to leave Mariupol without being checked properly. Yeah. And he called by the radio uh, a bus. No, bus, Three big guys came out from the bus. And he calls on a, on a radio and a, a minivan turns up and three big guys come out of the, the van. And at that point, Eagle said, I, I thought I was going to be killed. I thought I was going to be taken away and shot. But actually they didn't. They bundled him into the, the minivan and they drove back into Nikolska to a, um, a two-story council building. After that, he, 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 he came to the room and uh, an officer, there were a table. There's a Russian officer sat in front of a desk. He's asked who he was, where he's going. Who are you? Where are you going? And what is your destination? And our hero, our hero, he created a legend that he has a disease. But he comes up with an excuse, a lie, um, that he's going to Zaporizhia because he has a stomach ulcer. And he's already paid for treatment before the war and he needed to get there to get the treatment, otherwise he'll die. And the Russian officer wasn't particularly impressed. Strip off, take off your top. And they, they found actually he had a bruise on his shoulder. He doesn't even know where he got the bruise, but he had a bruise on his shoulder and he, the Russian officer was, said, that's from a rifle, that's from holding a rifle on your shoulder. And he's getting more and more angry, frustrated. <laughs> and officer told you are just you're boring me. Maybe maybe it's better to hit you. Maybe it's better to beat you. And Igor sort of said, as you wish, Commander. But you know, this was an innocent man and he was taken to another room, had his fingerprints scanned and he was put up against a wall and they took mug shots, did some paperwork, stamped it, a few stamps. After that, they gave him this document yeah. that he showed us. And they said to him, you are free. With his papers in his hands, Igor and Zuzu set off walking. Every day, he would wake up at dawn, heading west, taking his direction from the sun. His aim was to make 20 to 30 kilometers a day. He passed through village after village, and as he walked, he saw his country changing around him. 
he would see Russian soldiers trying to move burnt-out tanks, which has been sort of freshly hit, you know, mines everywhere. He sees uh, huge diggers digging out mass graves. <laughs> he sees statues of Lenin being erected, statues of Lenin that he hadn't seen for a long time, being erected outside sort of council buildings by the Russian soldiers. To have a, a bit of a rest, he would make a little fire and have a cup of tea, and he'd sit there and he'd, he'd watch this going on. Um, sort of watching his country being kind of taken over, um, history being rewritten. So he saw all that, and then he saw the people whose lives had been ruined in tears and broken, people crying, people actually asking him for if he's got any food, has he got any tea, has he got any cigarettes? Because desperation all the way, all the way everywhere he goes, there's this desperation. Each time Igor passed through an occupied village, he would face a Russian checkpoint. Again and again, he would be confronted by Russian soldiers with no idea of what kind of mood they might be in. Some wanted to kill him. Some just were curious about him. And some wanted to be his best friend. I mean, there was, there's, there was one occasion where a soldier, when others had sort of moved away, sort of said, like, let's swap addresses. In fact, why don't why don't you come and live with me? When everything uh, will be finished, yeah, come to me, come to me to Russia. <laughs> Let's be <laughs> my guest. Right. I mean, Igor's sort of completely befuddled. Like, what what is he proposing? <laughs> um, you know, is this romantic in nature, or he was just so? But I think his conclusion actually wasn't that. It was this guy. Um, this guy was kind of sort of saying, "I'm not." I'm not like this. What we're doing here, I know this is this is wrong. Because you know, some of the soldiers are saying to him at various points are saying, Why are you fighting back? Why are you resisting? Hey, why are you resist? Russia will come and everything, everything will be great. You will be like, you will be living as, like in, in Russia. There will be order and uh, yes. And law, law and order, you will have a tasty, tasty food. <laughs> Why? Why you resist? By this point in Igor's journey, he'd walked an extraordinary 130 kilometers, sleeping wherever he could before getting back on the road with Zuzu. They must have been exhausted. He was extremely hungry. Um, all his meals he shared half 50-50 with a dog. Um, you know, he's a small little mongrel terrier, doesn't eat that much, but he's walking a hell of a lot, so he's burning up a lot of energy. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was shot, really. He barely sleeping, uh, walked so far, but the, the, the biggest obstacle was yet to come. Coming up, one wrong step and it's certain death. Igor and Zuzu reach a point of no return. It starts at the most difficult part of my trip. He came to uh, what he thought would be a road bridge, what was a road bridge once upon a time. And I, I, I saw in front of me, I totally destroyed the bridge and a big hole was uh, down in front of me. It was a 30-metre-long uh, road bridge um, with a 30-metre drop down to, um, down to rail tracks. 
below. It'd been bombed, heavily bombed, destroyed. So all that was left was a um, the metal frame, really, of, of, of the bridge. He, he said to me, you know, he had all these interaction with the, all these Russian Russian soldiers and Chechens, and um, and he sort of managed to talk his way through all these sort of very dangerous checkpoints. Um, but he said to me, you can cheat people, but not a destroyed bridge. He thought it was, it was, it was all over. But he looked a little closer at it, and so it's quite a difficult thing to explain, and it was quite difficult for him to, to explain, but essentially there was one sort of very narrow beam, and then there was sort of a higher, slightly broader beam, about sort of shoulder head height. Um, and he thought, is there, is it possible? He thought, I'll, I'll try. So he ties up his Zuzu uh, to, to his luggage. Yes, I tied, tied uh, my dog to, to my trolley, yeah. left uh, them uh, at the end of the bridge, yeah. and I decided to uh, cross the bridge by myself just to investigate yeah. their path. Yeah. And he traverses this, this very thin beam, sort of inching along, holding onto the broad beam um, to sort of keep balance one erring step and uh, it's this death, it's certain death blow. So he does that on his own. Um, it takes him a while, uh, but he gets there and thinks, well, okay, I can do it. So he comes back again. Wow, okay. <laughs> Crossing, they, he, he crossed, came back and decided, uh, decided. so I did uh, this and uh, I will do it with my dog and my trolley. Then he picks up his luggage <laughs> um, because he thinks, well, there's no way I can take the dog and the luggage on one trip. Um, so he gets his luggage, tells Zuzu to sit here, um, takes the luggage across, even more slow, you know, even more dangerous, does it right back again. Um, and then this is the most difficult bit, and I sort of asked him to explain it over and over again because I couldn't really quite picture how on earth he did this. But he went on the, the lower beam. He put Zuzu on the highest, broader broader beam, but had the lead on. So if Zuzu fell off, he's going to pull Igor off. Um, so they inch across, the dog above him, Igor can sort of reassure him all the way along. Um, and they inched across, inched across. And um, as he was telling the story, he said, and then we got, I got to the end, and, and, uh, and he just, he sort of, I just jumped up. <laughs> I hugged the dog, I jumped up in, in delight. And I said, yes, we did it, we did it, we survived, we did it. We are lucky again. He screamed yeah, to himself. It was, uh, he, he felt himself like a hero Yeah, at that moment because it, it, it was very tough. Thoroughly elated, but, you know, still quite a long way away from where he needed to be. Um, and uh, he had yet another checkpoint to, to get to. Dan, it's just extraordinary the way that he managed to make this crossing. And I wonder, as he's telling it, because it sounds so cinematic... What yeah. did you think when he was telling you the story and explaining exactly the mechanics of how he got him and his dog and his luggage across that bridge? Well, yeah, I just, I just it seems so utterly ridiculous that um, he wouldn't leave his luggage for a start. <laughs> uh, I, so I got him to sort of, I stood up and um, recreated the scene just to make sure I got it right. I drew a sketch <laughs> in my notepad just to make sure, am I absolutely right? This is what he did because it does seem bizarre. Um, um, but yeah, it, seemingly it was what he did. And what did the Russian soldiers on the other side make of Igor and his little <laughs> dog 
and his luggage emerging <laughs> yeah. from the other side of that bridge. The Russian soldiers are absolutely sort of gobsmacked, really. Isn't that? Um, it's a very quiet checkpoint. That bridge is destroyed. There's no way across. How on earth? Um, so what happens is he gets guns pointed at him and um, someone shouts, where have you come from? And uh, Eagle actually couldn't remember the sort of the name of the place where he'd come from. Um, he remembered that he sort of rem- rhymed with the word goose in Russian. Goose. Yeah. 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 And kusarka. This is uh, from the goose. Right. Goose. So you're saying goose. Goose is a goose. And the 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 the, the commander shouted, "Are you mocking me? I'm, I can sh- I will shoot you now. Are you mocking me? Are you playing with me? What, what the what the fuck are you playing with me?" Luckily, Eagle then remembered the name of this place that sounded like goose in Russian, and they stripped him down. Um, they were kind of extremely suspicious, uh, uh, very aggressive. But then, but then, incredibly curious, as they sort of realised who he was, they sort of sort of acknowledged he, that you know he wasn't a risk, and his story was was true. They actually wanted to wanted him to recount it over and over again. In fact, they wanted him to recount his whole um, extraordinary uh, adventure. So he sat there, and then they sort of gathered around and um, got him to tell his stories and to, oh, of his life and his adventures and the daring deeds across the bridge. So he spends a night at that checkpoint, sleeping in his chair, and as always, he gets up at six a.m. to head towards the next town. What happens next? So they get to uh, a very steep hill, and Zuzu at this stage was in all sorts of bad shape. His, his paws were all cut up because you've got you know, they've been walking over in Mariupol and elsewhere, they've been walking over glass and metal and, you know, the bridge is rusty. Mm. So he's, the, the, the dog's paws are all cut up and he's now, at this stage, he's got a, a limp. He can't, he, he, he just sits down at this bottom of this particular hill and he can't go on. And Igor says, if you don't walk, we will both die. Um, you have to walk. I told uh, to my, uh, he told to, to the dog, uh, you, 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 you will kill me. Yeah, because uh, you, you have, you have to walk. Otherwise, we both, bo- both of us, we, we will die. Yeah. Really, I, it was, later on, I, sort of did, I found it quite touching in that, you know, he wasn't saying, I'm going to leave you or you'll die. It was, we will both die. He kind of, their, their fates were completely entwined. The dog wouldn't walk. So what he did was he walked up his luggage to the top of this very steep um, hill, walked down, picked up Zuzu, walked all the way up oh, with wow. him in his, in his hands, and then walked down again. They came to another hill and actually miraculously, and I think, you know, it was a saving grace that Zuzu did go up the, sort of the next very steep um, tr- stretch of road. Uh, otherwise it would have, I think, you know, it would have broken him. They get to a village called Teresivka, um, a small village, and he he just sees through the window of a, uh, the, one of the first houses he, he gets to, he sees a, a man. I says, where have you come from? And I've come from Mariupol. Wow. And Eagle says, so how do I get to Zaporizhia from here? Um, and the guy says, well, you have to break down here, these small roads. You have to get across a dam. And after this dam... You have to turn повернути кудись, та, після дамби. Направо. You have to turn right and there is a smuggler's road. Right. And you will reach Zaporizhia by this smuggler's road. And then from there you'll be completely lost and you just have to wait and it's a smuggler's track is where people are smuggling from the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic the separatist part of the Russian 
um, backed mm. it's into into sort of um, Ukraine proper, and you just have to wait and hope that someone picks you up. That's the only way you're going to do it. So he he did as he as he was told. He gets across the dam. There's a, um, a bridge and there's a crossroads. All the way along his journey, he's been sticking to the main roads, but now he's completely lost in the countryside. Uh, he has no clue, so he just has to sit there and wait. Um, and fortunately, uh, a smuggler was smuggling that day, and a truck appeared. Stopped, and the driver uh, asked him where you need to go. Zaporozhye. <clears throat> I, I said him to Zaporozhye. Where are you from? I am from Mariupol. And just uh, suddenly he opened his uh, door and uh, told him, get in. Eagle gets into the, the front of the, the, the lorry and the driver is weaving around. It's extremely bumpy. You know, these weren't, not, these weren't roads, these are tracks. Um, it was only a smuggler who traverses these roads. Um, out of sight of the authorities and the rest of it would know how to possibly get from A to B. Uh, and then he see he also sees up ahead, he sees the Ukrainian flag, the yellow and blue the Ukrainian mm. flag, and just, uh, you know, feels utter relief and joy. How did Igor describe that moment to you? I thought he was going to cry. <laughs> he felt, you know, slightly overwhelmed by what he'd been through and and that moment of seeing the fluttering flag and kind of, oh, you know, it's not, it's in no way is this safe. <laughs> this, you mm. see the Ukrainian flag doesn't mean you're safe, but it doesn't mean you're not in uh, Russian-occupied territory. So they drive into the city um, and they go to a centre where there's a sort of big white tent, a refugee um, centre. And the driver gives him a thousand of the Ukrainian currencies, about 30 quid, um, but, you know, he hadn't said a word to him. Uh, but then he says, good luck, and gives the money. Um, and Igor said he just, this guy just understood. He just understood what I'd been through. And he got out of the car. Uh, Zuzu got out of the of the, the lorry. Um, but, and uh, Igor said, I said, right, let's go. And Zuzu couldn't, couldn't, you know, despite being in the car for that journey, he couldn't go on. He just sat there, couldn't move. So Igor picks him up, takes him to the tent, a lady approaches and uh, says, hello, do you need, would you like some help? Can I help you? And one lady came to me and, and said, do you need any help? And he goes, it takes a moment. Uh, yes, yes, I've come from Mariupol. Where are you from? From Mariupol. And she shouts, she screams, she shouts, you came by Mariupol foot. A man from Mariupol came to us by foot, by his foot. He started to scream. All people finished to, 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 stopped to eat. She's shouting and repeating what he said, and everyone stops. He said people were eating in there, and their cutlery was sort of midair. They stopped, <laughs> um, and everyone sort of gathered around, just like, how on earth? Um, and they wanted to know what it all been about. It was like a miracle. A man, a man who reached Zaporizhia from Mariupol by, by feet. It was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a one second of my glory, my happiness and my glory. The eagle said, you know, that was my kind of moment of glory. After all that, um, this was the point where, as I would say, yeah, this is what I did. Thank you.
So from there, Igor uses the money that the smuggler had given him to buy this train ticket to Kiev, where his parents are staying. Finally, he ends up in the cafe sitting across from you, Dan. And not long after, you publish Igor and Zuzu's story in The Guardian. What kind of reaction did the story get? By the time we published, I was on a sleeper train to Lviv. And um, and on that, I was sort of watching my phone, just ping, 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 constantly all through the night. And it was people offering money to Igor and to um, and to Zuzu uh, uh, because we did also a piece, you know, saying that Zuzu was in pretty poor state. Um, and uh, we we there was the in the office I don't know how to deal with this because we can't just collect money from people. Mm. Um, so we set up a just giving page, and I think we've got something like thirteen thousand pounds now um, oh, wow. just to settle. Uh, settle Zuzu's veterinary fees. So he's now getting treatment. He's had x-rays for his leg. Um, he's, um, his paws are being sort of treated. He's on various medicines to get the inflammation down. Uh, and hopefully he'll make a full recovery um, from what was quite the ordeal. Dan, what is it about this story that you think has touched so many people? I think it's sort of his kind of belief that his his life wasn't really worth much and um but this that still that sort of human spirit that that doggedness that he wanted to he would he would live on but and then the entwining of that that sort of not only would he live on but his his pet <laughs> um though their relationship um so i think that i think that human spirit that you know, kind of almost zuzu is kind of is why we carry on we we find reasons to carry on um and i don't think eagles had a a, a a fantastic life i think he's had a hard life um but he found reason to carry on in in his pet who he loved you know so love got him through basically i suppose i suppose that's what it is that was dan boffy you can follow the latest developments on the Russia-Ukraine war and read Dan's piece, The Invisible Ukrainian Who Walked 225 Kilometers to Safety from Mariupol at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Joshua Kelly. Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.